following is brought to you by Canyon Ridge Church at Tacoma. For additional podcasts or information on service times and upcoming events, please visit us online at www.explorecrc.com. All right, so getting started, I love how in this passage, the very first thing it gives us is an assumption of your life if you call yourself a believer. So this is an assumption for those of you who would say that you have given your life to Christ. It goes to say that you are the light of the world. It doesn't go to say that you could be the light if you really wanted to, or that if you're feeling like it, you can be a light. But it says that you are the light of the world. And think about it this way. When you walk into a room that's dark, what's the first thing you typically do? You look for the light switch, and you turn on the light, right? You don't turn off the darkness. No one says that. It's kind of weird. You just say you turn on the light, and when you leave a room, you turn off the light. So where there is light, we know that there can be no darkness. And in the same way, where there is Jesus, there can be no darkness, because he is the eternal light. And that's how we can know that you who call yourself a believer is a light because you have the eternal hope and salvation of Jesus Christ living in you. But it also goes on to say that this light is not just for you. That this light isn't to make you feel good about yourself. Oh, look at what I can do. This light is about getting out into the world and sharing it with other people. And there are all kinds of lights in the world that do so many different things and serve different purposes, but it is a fact that some lights are better at doing things than others. And so I prepared for you a little demonstration today just to talk about the effectiveness of certain lights when it comes to lighting up the darkness. So this first demonstration I have, I'll have three different ones for you, um, is an item which looks pretty inconspicuous. This is some cotton. Uh, You can find this at uh, anywhere that sells things. And this cotton is special cotton, actually, though, because this isn't just your normal, everyday cotton ball cotton. This is what's called flash cotton. Flash cotton is a very common tool in the magician's tool belt. So if we have any people who like moonlight as magicians here, I'm sorry to give away your tricks. Uh, But this is a very common tool. And what it is, is it's cotton that is dipped in some very flammable chemicals and then dried, and it's meant to emit a very large, bright flash and then disappear without a trace, leaving no smoke, no ashes. You just light it, and it goes up, and then it goes away. Uh, But I thought, why would I just tell you about it when I can show it to you? Because that's way more fun. Am I right? And so I've been practicing all week, and those of you who are in the front row are very brave. Um... (laughs) But you'll be safe because it's it's all right. Don't worry. I practiced this in front of my wife many times, and I only burned my hair. Uh, Hers is still intact. And no, that's not the reason that she's not here today, so don't worry about that. Uh, But I want to give you just this demonstration of how this light works real quick. So it's pretty dim in here. And um, also, I just thought I'd throw this out there that since I'm going to be a light in the darkness to you today, that I wanted to help you be able to see me, if that, if that helps. I don't know, it might be a distraction. I'll, I'll turn it off in a bit. Um, so everybody, just prepare yourselves. This is very simple. It's nothing to be amazed of. I don't have a magic trick afterwards. I just thought this would be fun. So if you want your very first source of light, here it is with my lighter, and uh, let's see what happens. Oh, all right, all right. 
you don't want to smell the burnt hair up here. Uh, so that's a pretty cool little tool. It's so simple, it's so small, and it emits a very bright light when it actually goes off, and it burns really hot, really intense. And if you thought that I was just going nowhere with this, you're wrong. This is a representation today in my illustration about three different types of lights that Christian often uh, emit themselves as. And this first one, to me, represents the believer who is on fire for God for a very short amount of time, and then it fades out eventually. You could say these people have acquired the fire. They've gone to that sweet passion conference where Hillsong was playing, and it was amazing, and all these people around them were worshiping God, and now they're so inspired, and so they leave it, and now they're saying they're on fire for God. They go into the world, they emit this bright light and this bright heat, and everybody looks at it, and they ooh, and they ah, and it's so amazing. And then a week or two or three later, that light disappears without a trace. There's not even smoke or ash left over for, to say that a light was there. The only people who saw it were the people who were there for the very short amount of time it burned, and all that was left was darkness. There are many believers who, who may fall into this category for that short amount of time where, where they're inspired, but then go back to living in the darkness, not having a light to produce and that's my, my first light example for you. My second one is this next light, and it's this flickering light, which I slowed down just in case anybody had any issues with lights. It's not a full strobe, but uh, this light to me indicates the believer who has given their life to Christ, who is living in the light, and yet they're still burdened by the weight of sin in their life. So, yes, they go to church most weeks when the Seahawks aren't playing, right? That's a dig for you podcast folks out there. Um, but it's all right. I'm following it on my phone anyways. Don't worry. And, and they go and they talk to their friends about Jesus. Sometimes when they're at work, they're like, yeah, I'm a Christian. I go to church. Uh, I have, they have a few key Bible verses they can throw out in situations that come up regularly. But then there's still darkness in their life at times because they still have a bad relationship with their spouse and with their kids. And they still lie about different things that they're spending money on. And, and when they go out with their friends and have just a little bit too much to drink, they start talking bad about their boss. See, these type of Christians are, are light one second and, the, and then they're dark and light and, and then they're dark and Really, all this does is it tends to confuse the people they're around. You say, I'm not sure what I'm supposed to be getting out of this. Are you light? Are you supposed to be showing me something? Are you dark? Are you just like me? Just like a strobe light, it tends to be more of a trick to the eyes than anything else. But I have this third type of light, and, and you, you all should know what this is if you can see it. This is a flashlight. What a great tool this is. I would go and uh, venture to say that many believers fall under the flashlight category. And this flashlight's kind of cool. It, it's pretty small, but it emits a pretty strong light. And it has the option to zoom in so I can spread out a dull light across a large area or I can focus a really, really bright light onto a small area that shines all over the room. And this is a great tool because you can, it literally serves its purpose. When it's dark, 
like when the power goes out, you break out a flashlight so you can see everything. When you're hiking or walking around at night, you can shine it in front of your feet so you know where you're going. Uh, you can shine it in front of other people's feet so they can see where they're going. It's a great tool, a great resource, and I would say many Christians would probably relate to being a flashlight into the darkness. But there's a problem with flashlights too, because why wouldn't there be? And that, that problem is what it runs off of. This little guy right here runs off of one AA battery. And if we know anything about batteries, it's that they lose charge over time, right? Which is why they make them so expensive, because they know you're going to have to keep buying them. And then you buy those rechargeable ones, but you lose the base, and then you're just back to square one, buying batteries again. We know how that goes. We're at a church. So these lights work really well when you first take the battery out. You put it in, it's shining bright, but then over time the battery starts to drain and it goes from 100 to 75%, 50%, 25%, 10-5, all the way down until eventually the battery dies and you're left with no light. And a lot of Christians probably relate to this idea of a flashlight. I can say that I have definitely related to this idea of being a flashlight and that I still today struggle with sometimes acting more like a flashlight. And the way you relate to it is because oftentimes what believers do is a lot like how you operate a flashlight. They get a new battery out of the pack, they open it up, put a new battery in, and it's at 100%. But now they go off and they start using their light and they use it and they use it and they use it to light things up, to show people the way, all the while while their battery is draining away until eventually they hit 0%. And now those believers are so burnt out, they're so worn out, they're feeling underappreciated that they don't have a light to shine anymore because the only way they were getting their power was from that battery. See, the issue with these lights was their source of power. It wasn't that they were a bad light, but they just didn't have a source of power that was big enough or that was reliable enough or was strong enough to shine a bright that would make a lasting impact. Because when things get difficult in life, like they will, and when your patience is beyond strained, and when you're worn out from all of the problems that you have to deal with, all of the accusations being thrown against you, you need a source of light that is more powerful than all of the negativity that is settling in in your heart. But if we're to be called a light to the world, I don't think what God meant for us was to be some flash cotton that shines bright and hot and burns some arm hairs for a second and then goes away, or to even be a flashlight which serves its purpose well but only for a limited time. So if he's called us to be a light to this world, that means he has to have provided with us a source that is big enough, that is strong enough, and that is reliable enough for us to shine an everlasting light to the people who need it, and let's be honest, to ourselves sometimes as well. And the Bible tells us who that light is. That light is actually the source of eternal light, 
And you know it is because he's the one who is even able to speak light into existence. And yes, I am talking about God because when God shines his light into the darkness and gives us a source of power, it's enough to light up the entire world with light so bright that people can't even see anything but the light. And holy cow, I know it's bright out there, but these things are super bright. I can't see anything now. So excuse me while I can't read my notes. See, no matter what you can offer, even if you're the best flashlight around, even if you're such a huge flashlight, you need to have a vehicle carrying it, you cannot possibly do all of the things that God has called you to without Him being your source of power, which leads me to my very first point for you today, which is that to be effective in engaging the world, you must first be engaging with God. If you're taking notes, make sure to write that down, and if you're not, it's not too late to start. It's the very first point, so it's a great time to hop on the train. See, to engage those who are in the darkness, we must be connected to the ultimate source of power. There are many biblical examples about this idea, and in fact, I would venture to say that the entire Bible lies on this premise, that if we are to do any of the things God has called us to do, we can't do it on our own power. You see, the fault of the person who is a flashlight is that they have gone to God to get charged up, right? They, you don't just get a battery lying around that's 0% and put it in your flashlight. You throw those batteries away and you get a fresh one. Just like the believer who goes to God to get recharged on Sundays or, or on worship nights. But then throughout the week, they feel themselves being drained, being drained until they run out of light. And then they have to go back and recharge again. And I don't think that's the life that Jesus has called us to. I don't think that's what he would want for us, to constantly feel burdened and overwhelmed and like we can't do it. But that's not the life he has called us to. That's the life we keep putting on ourselves. You see, when Jesus came to this earth many, many years ago, he brought with them the declaration that he is the light of the world and that God is the source of the light that he wants to shine through us. I think it's kind of ironic that we still struggle with this very issue today because Jesus has been telling people for thousands of years about this. And in fact, it was talked about all before Jesus even came down to this earth as well. Many people in the Bible wrestled with how they're meant to live out this idea of being a light to the world. And I can tell you with confidence, because I've read the Bible at least once, that all of them have failed at some point to be this light. That not a single person has been able to be the entire light by themselves in every single circumstance that exists. But the thing was about them that they kept on trying because they knew it was worth it. So I don't want you to worry today if you've been failing to be a light to the world. The failure that you've been experiencing is not a question of your character. It's the struggle that every believer has to face in that there is a world out there that is vying for our attention, that wants to weigh us down and make their priorities our priorities. And we have to be able to fight against it, but we just simply cannot do it on our own strength. So don't consider yourself a failure. Instead, consider that failure an opportunity for growth as we carry on with the rest of today's talk. And I want all of us to grow together today, which is why what we are going to be doing for the last uh, 10 or 15 minutes is exploring the life of a man named Paul. 
And if you don't know who Paul is in the Bible, he was named Saul at one point um, until he had an encounter with God that changed his life so much that he had to change his name because he was a completely new person. See, he spent his life going around persecuting Christians, persecuting these new believers because he was a very devout Jew who thought that what they were saying about Jesus being the Lord and Savior was blasphemy. So he went around to different places, tracking them down, even going so far as to throwing them in jail and killing them. But this same man, Saul, who later became Paul, would go on to be who many people believe to be one of the greatest lights in the entire Bible, one of the greatest lights for Christ that shone out into the dark world who needed him. And even though he was humiliated during this time, and he was spat on, he was accused of things he never did, and he was even stoned, thrown in jail, and eventually died for being a light to the world, he never gave up. Because in the midst of all this struggle, he was able to stand strong and deliver the light that God had put in him because he was connected to God as his source of power. And we can learn a lot from Paul. We can get his secret sauce, so to speak, by studying a little bit about what he did when he went to different places. And I believe he left a trail with him of many different ways to stay connected to God as his source of power. But since this is a sermon and it's what we do, I'm just going to talk about three of them. The very first way that Paul stayed connected to his source of power was by worshiping and praying to God regularly. I have a verse here that I want to read and we'll have up on the screen. This is in the book of Acts. If you want to learn more about Paul and you want to study a little bit more about what he's done and uh, all of the things that he went through and the cities he went to, uh, the book of Acts would probably be your best place because it outlines his walk through uh, the entire um, area over there, um, sharing the light to many different cities over the course of many years. Uh, So feel free to read through that this week um, as well as your 20-minute mornings because they're both awesome. But I want to read this passage out of Acts chapter 16 real quick. So it says here that they, being Paul and his companion Silas, were severely beaten and then they were thrown into prison. This was after they had uh, been in a city and found a demon who was living in a girl and they cast that demon out. But the owners of that girl, because back in the day you were able to own people, which seems like such a foreign concept, uh, you, were, you were able to own them, and so they used the demon inside of her to tell fortunes and to make money. So essentially, she was their payday, and after Paul and Silas kicked this demon out of her, she no longer had that ability, so as you could tell, they were very mad. They had them thrown in jail, both of them, and beaten. The jailer was ordered to make sure that they didn't escape, so the jailer put them into the inner dungeon, and he clamped their feet in the stocks. But around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. We know that Paul spent a lot of time in prayer and in worship. Every time he went to a new city, when he was traveling around to share the word of God, 
the very first thing he would do would be to find the synagogue in that city, which was the temple where the Jews went to worship. So modern-day church is the synagogue to the Jews. And he would go there, and he would um, participate in praise. He would participate in worship there. And then he would go on to talk to the crowd about how Jesus came and Jesus is the Messiah. And there are many, many times he was at these places for an extended stay. There was one point in time where he was called to preach in a city for an entire year and a half. And so he said he did that every single day for a year and a half. So you know that Paul prayed and he worshiped regularly, a whole lot more than just showing up on one Sunday a week. He was doing it every single day. And it was such a natural part of who he was that even when he was thrown in jail and in the worst circumstances of his life, his natural response was to sing praises and worship to God. Prayer is an act of complete desire to be with God, and worship is an act of complete surrender to God and his plan. Paul had come to the point of complete surrender that even in the most difficult of time where the darkness had fully enveloped him, he was able to connect to his source of light, God, through his love and through his mercy because he knew that everything he had for him was good, even when it didn't seem like it. And the cool thing about this story is that all Paul was doing was connecting to his source of power. He wasn't in jail shining a light to people intentionally. He wasn't preaching to them. He didn't uh, have this idea going in mind, like, all right, I'm going to get thrown in prison and I'm going to preach to all the prisoners. He just got thrown in jail. And now him and Silas are connecting to God through worship, through prayer, so that they could receive his light. But the cool thing about that is that the story goes on to tell what happens and that God performed a miracle by breaking down the walls of the jail and by breaking the shackles off of Paul and Silas so that they were set free. And this jailer, whose job it was to make sure that they didn't escape, came rushing into the room, and when he saw that the wall was torn down and their shackles were free, he thought they had escaped, and so what he did was he tried to kill himself. But Paul and Silas came out to the jailer, and instead of a soul being lost to suicide that day, Paul and Silas shared the gospel with the jailer, and not only his soul was saved, but his entire family, it says, went on to be saved in eternal life. And what's cool about this was he didn't come into the jail saying, I'm going to shine a light to people today. All he did was connect to a source of power, and it was so much that a light shone from him and Silas, and they were able to share that love that God has for them with the people they were around. It's so cool how God can use these things that we don't intend on being for good for his glory. The second way that Paul stayed connected to his power source was by surrounding himself with people who were passionate for God. In Paul's ministry, he met many people while traveling. Uh, He would go to the synagogues, like I said, and preach. And oftentimes when the people would uh, believe what he was saying and they would give their lives to Christ, some of them would build a special bond or relationship with Paul. And he would go on to meet and travel with these people regularly. Uh, A few of the people that it's referred to in the Bible would be Titus and Timothy, two books of the Bible, actually, um, which uh, those are the people that those were um, written for or from. 
And he also went on to meet with the apostles, such as Peter and James and John, many of the high-ups. Paul often surrounded himself with people who were also passionate for God. Because the fact of the matter is that the world offers so many distractions, it is easy to get lost and to get overwhelmed and to have your priorities shifted aside and to be focusing on the wrong thing. Because when you stay too long mulling over your desires and being absorbed by the world's perspective and by the world's priorities, you start to take that on as your own. But when you're around people who are passionate for something, it inspires you. When you're around people that have every single desire in their heart to live for God, that, that won't help but rub off on you until you are feeling the same way. And I want to ask you this question. It's rhetorical, so you can uh, keep it in your head. But do you have someone like that in your life? Do you have an intentional relationship with somebody that when you are feeling down and out will come and rekindle the fire that you've let burn low? I'm not saying a friend who, like, you know reads their Bible every day because their prayers are really awesome, so they're obviously doing it. I'm not saying that a person you're an acquaintance with who you've heard preach before and you talk to them sometimes. Uh, I'm saying a person that you've made an intentional commitment to saying, hey, I'm going to fall in my life and I'm going to get distracted from my purpose and I am at times going to set aside everything I say I stand for to do something else. And when I do that, I need you to speak back into my life and to reinstill that passion. Paul had these people in his life. And what was cool about it was that he didn't just have people who were there to inspire him. He was also able to inspire and to grow them as well down this path. It was a mutual relationship. And I'm a firm believer that we all need people like that in our life who we can be the inspiration for and that they can inspire us for with our passions for God together. We need to have each other's back. And the third and final point I have in the ways that Paul was able to stay connected to his power source was by being obedient when God gave him a job. I have another verse in Acts 16 that I want to read through, uh, and it'll back up just a little bit into uh, verse 7 through 10. And it says here, Then coming to the borders of Mycenae, also, heads up, I'm going to butcher all these names, so don't quote me on them. They headed north for the province of Bithynia, but again the Spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. So instead, they went on through Mycenae to the seaport of Troas, and that night Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over to Macedonia and help us. So we decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling us to preach the good news there. Notice the lack of hesitation in their response. It says that they decided to leave at once. It doesn't say that Paul decided to finish up his business where he was. He didn't say, God, that sounds really great. Let me just finish up what I'm doing here because, you know, I'm really making an impact and and these people are starting to like me. They're not throwing rocks at me anymore. So I think I should stick around here a little bit longer. It didn't say that he waited to plan out his arrangements to see if he has any buddies he can go uh, hit up and sleep on their couch while they're traveling up there. 
or he had some work off on the way so they can make a little pit stop. It didn't say that he worried about the resources that they had and if they'd have enough money to even get themselves up to Macedonia. It just says that they went at once. Because Paul knew who was in charge. He knew that of his very limited understanding of the world, understanding of the things that are going around him, of the history of the world, of everything that's happening in the provinces, north, south, east, and west of him, he knew that out of his limited knowledge of all these things, he would be way, way, way better off following the God who both knows all things and at the same time infinitely loves and cares for him and wants the best for him. You see, any of you who have had any experience with electrical work would know that if you have too many sources competing for power, it causes that power source to short circuit. And the same thing can happen in our spiritual lives. When we have too many things competing for our attention that are trying to draw us here and there, and we're trying to go off on our own way while our parents are telling us to do something else, and while God is telling us to do something better, if we are living in a jumbled mess of trying to fit all of this into one decision, we are going to short circus. Circuit, close enough. God wants us to be receiving his power. He has it in mind for us because he knows it's what we need to do what he has called us to, which is why Paul knew that anytime God told him to do something, at the drop of a hat, he would be there to do it. We're wrapping up right here in just a minute, but friends, I want to tell you one truth. We can be nice to others as much as we are physically capable of, and we can serve people well beyond what they deserve and expect from us, and we can do all of the right things so everybody looks at us the right way and says, that person has it together, until we are overwhelmed, underappreciated, and burnt out. But the truth is, God never intended for that to be the way we live our lives. The Bible does say to do all these good things. It does say you have to be nice to that person you don't like. It also says you have to love that person you don't like, so figure that one out. It says that you are supposed to serve people. It says you're supposed to put people above yourselves. And it even goes as far as to say that your life will be a sacrifice. And I don't know about you, but I don't think I've ever sacrificed anything that felt great. But what it doesn't say is to do it alone. It says to do it through his power alone. And Paul was displaying this as he went throughout his ministry. The reason he was able to be such a great light was because he wasn't the light that was shining. It was God's light shining through him. And that makes all the difference. What I want you to take from today is this. Is that you don't need to force being the light to the world. What you need to be doing is investing in your relationship with God. Because the believer who is filled up by God can't help but shine his light through them. And it will make an everlasting difference in the people that you come in contact with, the people who you then serve. It will transform your heart so no longer do you have to be kind to people, but you are kind to people. No longer do you have to try to be a nice person, but you are a nice person. 
No longer do you have to take time out of your life to serve people, but serving people will become what you are about. We have to be engaged with God if we are going to engage the world with the light that he has called us to. Let's pray. Lord, you are so great, and your truths just seem to make so much sense. Lord, but we have difficulty following them, understanding them. We need your help, God. Help us to be the light that you have called us to be. But most importantly, help us to not take it upon ourselves as the burden to carry, but let us tap into your strength and your power so that the light that shines through us isn't our own fading or flickering light, but that it's the steady, eternal light that you have, God. We ask as we go back into the world that this wouldn't be a time of recharging our batteries, but that this would be a time of learning how we can tap into your eternal resources so that every single day we're running on 100% for you. And we ask this in your name. Amen.